the contenders are starting to sort themselves out in Indie Ball, and we're going to break all of that down here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. back again episode number 120 of the indie ball report podcast i'm nick he's will we got a lot to talk about and we are starting to have the cream rise to the top of independent league baseball i think you're open actually hit it perfectly i think you're reaching the point of the year of course the american association started started a couple weeks earlier in the frontier league and the atlantic league did so i guess they're they're a little bit further along but you know they're you're approaching that halfway point in the american association you're approaching that uh that third of the way through in in the frontier league and the uh in in the atlantic league so not not to say that anything is really definitive at this point but you're really and i think at this point in the year you can really start to actually make evaluations about specific teams and who's going to be at least near the top as we go towards the end of the season, unless your name is the Winnipeg Gold Dives in in the summer of 2020, and you screw me like that. So, uh, yes, I'm still salty. They're in last place. It makes me sad. But you you really start to notice, at least at this point, who the teams to beat are. And, of course, there are plenty of teams still in the race just hovering around. 500 mark and can still make a run yep absolutely but at this point like you're saying everybody's had probably about 25 games in the two leagues to start around memorial day and then like uh you said about the american association they're coming up on that halfway mark a lot of them are at that like 35 40 game mark of their 100 game slate so they by this time next week most of them will either be at that halfway mark or just uh, just a hair below it so we are starting to really see what teams are still in the fight which ones are starting to fall out of it who is like really one bad week away i want to say almost and that's again not to say like you're saying that and this is how it's going to be come late august it's just it's really hard to make up ground at the very end and it's really easy to lose ground at the very end so if you kind of can't be in that last place slot by a lot like say a houston apollos that have five wins and 29 losses in a division where 22 wins is currently your leader it's like well you i don't want to say you're out of it but i mean like come on and even a team like winnipeg like you mentioned they're not exactly doing the hottest either i mean they are currently at 13 wins and 21 is their leader. They're six and a half back. Same thing with King County at this point. So we're starting to kind of see teams that were originally at the top of the board here start to sort themselves out. Now, I will say, again, even if you're only six games or so back, a lot can happen. That's one good week for you, one bad week for one other team, and uh, you're right back at the top of the board. But even still, you're not always going to get the stars to align like that. And it's not like it's a two or three team division like you have over in the Frontier League. It's, uh, these are about six team deep divisions. So you're going to need a lot to go right if you're six games out at this point. Not to say it can't happen. It's just, it becomes a lot more difficult each day that you're that far back. And I think that's the interesting difference between the Frontier League uh, and the American Association in that sense. Just because the Frontier League, you're looking at divisions of four and three teams, right? Yeah. And so if you're in the American Association, and let's say you're a team 
Um, and let's say you're a team like Winnipeg or, or you're a team maybe like, uh, maybe like Lincoln or Cleburne uh, and you're looking to make, you've got to jump a lot of teams to get there. Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, we could look at the Frontier League and the Washington Wild things four games out at the moment, uh, behind Sussexton, New Jersey, who are tied for first. At the end of the day, is it, I mean, if Washington gets hot and Sussex keeps kind of milling along and I mean, they've struggled a little bit lately, mm-hmm. but just being able to jump, not only being able to, only having to jump one or a couple teams to really make your way to the top, it's a big difference, uh, in this sense, uh, especially, you know, when you're looking at the, the Frontier League with the much smaller divisions, even though they have four, four of them. Uh, and the American Association with only two divisions and, and six teams in, in each of them. It's a much different, of course, there's teams like, for example, Gateway, who's 11 out, uh, in a very, very good West division in the Frontier League. You'd say they probably don't really have too much of a chance at this point. But outside of them, I mean, I, I think you'd say everyone's in it in the Frontier League, uh, in their respective divisions. You probably can't say the same thing about the American Association. Exactly. At this point, it's just a matter of figuring it out as to who are those other teams that are kind of out of it. I mean, Houston's the obvious one. And then when you look across the board, you Winnipeg's one that you're like, okay, are they one of those teams that's kind of out of it? Is King County one of those teams that's kind of out of it? And if those two are, then you have to say, okay, well, then is Gary another one? Because, I mean, they're 15 and 19. They're only a half game better than the other two. Obviously, the the top three teams in that North Division are Milwaukee, Chicago, Fargo, and obviously those bottom. Really, you could argue bottom four teams in the South Division are Sioux are Sioux Falls, uh, Claiborne, Lincoln, like we said, Houston, which obviously then leaves you two teams at the top. That will be your two playoff teams. So it's kind of hard to say here uh, who those teams are yet, but we are starting to get a really good idea of, okay, these teams are legit contenders. I think more so to go deeper in the playoffs, but also to just make them alone. Uh, there's like four or five of them, but regardless of all that, we'll get more onto the individual leagues themselves in a minute. We do have one interesting foot from the week, which is we have another, <clears throat> we have had another no hitter this week, Tuesday night. The Tri-City Valley Cats, a team that we've been fairly critical of because they have struggled certainly out of the gate uh, to begin their year, and they still are five games back in their division uh, respectively. But they did have a highlight of having a combined no-hitter against the Sussex County Myers, a team that we've been very high on. But like you pointed out, Will, in in our little open right there, they have struggled as of recent, and this is definitely, I think, the the high watermark of their struggling. Uh, three pitches were used to no hit them. Parker Kelly, Jimenez, Entry, Cochran, Gill, all are the three that went out and no hit them. Only two walks too in that whole affair. So if Kelly didn't walk the two batters in his start, then they would have actually thrown a combined perfect game, which, uh, that gotta be extremely rare. There's no way that's a common feat. Even a combined no hitter in it, in of itself is extremely rare, uh, and really across baseball, but, Anywho, this is the second one this season, and the second week in a row we are talking about this. I'm not sure exactly if Austin's came exactly a week apart or within a week, but it's roughly a week, 10 days apart, I'd call it. Uh, So certainly 
a very odd thing to see two that closely together. But I guess these kinds of things do come in sets. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe next week we'll talk about another no-hitter. And then in a week from now, we'll be seeing uh, Frontier League umpires checking pitchers for uh, spider tack. <laughs> checking, checking Frontier League pitchers for, for spider tack. That would, that would be something. But, yeah, I try that It's really interesting that Sussex County ended up... And, you know, it, it's funny because oftentimes with no-hitters, they're such like flukes and not, not to degrade the accomplishment in any way. Mm. It's just like, it, it, sometimes it happens in good teams. It's not just like a terrible team just getting all the time. Like, it, honestly, I mean, it was surprising. I mean, it does really just illustrate how, how much Suffolk County is struggling right now. Tri City's playing a little bit better of late. At least Parker Kelly. Parker Kelly, a guy that um, Nick and I both saw uh, at the at the Boulders game in, in Rockland when Tri City uh, played them. I mean, he was he was outstanding for six innings, and of course Jimenez and Conker and Gill out of the bullpen, uh, through nine up and nine down for them with five strikeouts. So it was just a great night for Tri City, and you know I don't care if it's like if it's seven innings combined, whatever. It's, it's an amazing accomplishment, uh, and it, it should be celebrated as such. And, and you know, in, in a season that um, Tri-City has, has really struggled, it's really good to see them ha- have a moment like this, especially as they're looking to try and bring fans into this new uh, Frontier League adventure for them. So I, I think it's a cool accomplishment for one of the newer teams in the league and one that really needs some wins right now. And we'll see if they, uh, if this can catapult them a little bit, maybe energize them a little bit, uh, to start playing like the team that, uh, you know, a lot of us thought we were getting at the beginning of the year. This division is still very much up for grabs. Uh, it's still very much up for grabs. So Tri City is certainly not out of it yet. So we'll see if this could be a uh, launching off point for them. Yeah, absolutely. And let's let's go deeper into Tri City now. But they're seven seventeen on the whole on the season, four and six in their last ten. They just swept Sussex County. They won three in a row after losing uh, two to them as well. And then last night they lost to New Jersey in that weird New Jersey goes up there for one game and then comes back thing. I, I still don't understand that scheduling quirk, but it, it happened anyway. But Anywho, they have Washington and then they have New Jersey again uh, upcoming this week for their two real major series. So it's hard for me to really tell much about this team because like you said, you know, it just kind of is any given night for a no-hitter. There's no like one guy that you're like, yeah, I'll bet money on them doing it tonight. It just, it kind of happens. And so they have been playing better as of recent, you know, four and six. It isn't terrible. Obviously, you want to be 500 or better. But if you're four and six, especially in the division they're in, you can get by on that. Because we've said repeatedly, this is kind of a division where if you go 500, you probably can win it. And we're seeing that now from the rest of the teams in the division. They're not doing particularly well either. And if you want to look over the last seven, this particular Tri-City team has done well. Hyatt's pitched very well. He had eight strong innings to get a win, only six hits in that one. McKay pitched well, two and two-thirds. Parker Kelly, like we just mentioned, he's done well. Uh, Tavares has done well. We've seen, really, the whole pitching staff has done very well, with the exception of possibly Jimenez, who, I mean, five innings, mainly out of relief, I believe. And he's allowed three earned runs in that time. So 
you know, you're willing to have some give and take there. And then obviously Jake Dexter, not exactly the best. Five and two thirds for him. Uh, seven hits, four earned runs, five strikeouts was his look this week. So, I mean, all in all, when you want to look across the board, they've had a team ERA of 2.29 over the last week, over the last 51 innings. So uh, that's clearly fine pitching wise. They're doing fine there. Even batting wise, I mean, admittedly not the best in the world but as a team again over the last like week they've hit or their slash line looks like uh 256 then 291 and then 386 so i mean it's not terrible they've done fairly well and i mean guys like Molina and silvario even campos whites white house there's a lot of guys here that are playing four to six games and they're doing well. They're producing. They're hitting home runs. They're getting on base. So there's clearly a turnaround here. And obviously, if you, if you've noticed, uh, with the transaction page with the league, they've done some major reworking of the roster over the last about 10 days or so. So they've just kind of brought in a lot of new guys, moved out a lot of guys, and it seems to be paying pretty good dividends at this point i don't know if that's going to be enough to really spark a turnaround i mean you're still five games out but grand you're five games out in the end of june and you play to the middle of september so there's still plenty of time here there's still about 10 weeks or so but i will say they're going to need to do better than four and six consistently to really in my mind kind of challenge rockland and challenge a quebec team that also hasn't been the best as of late but they they get their wins when they can and same thing with Rockland they're they're putting up fights they just knocked off a decent Sussex team as well so I mean who knows yeah I, I think that that roster shakeup is is really fascinating because you don't really see it a ton like seeing that their team is not doing well and just completely blowing it up mid-season and just start, starting fresh with so many new guys. I think you, the, the team you could say that at least in the Atlantic League in 2019, the New Britain Bees did something very similar, and it, and it paid off for them down the stretch as they nearly uh, got into the postseason after a rough first half. And they brought in guys like Mike Carp and Taylor Motter uh, and, and all those guys. So... It's really interesting because Pete Cavillia, you know, he is not used to losing in indie ball. He's not. He, he, he's had a ton of success in Sherman. He's not that familiar with the Frontier League, and that, that's hurt him and his team early on. And we were worried about some of that in the preview for sure. And but I think that at least with this roster shakeup, I think it's really helped on the pitching end of things. And even on offense, the, the overall numbers don't look very good, but they are hitting better lately. And so another trade that um, that I was intrigued by was the, was when they acquired Willie Garcia. Uh, I, I think he's a guy with a with a good track record that could maybe with a change of scenery can really start to hit. Uh, I believe two. I believe he's two for nine so far, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, he's two for nine. Way, two for nine in a pair so, of walks. Yeah, so still way too early uh, to to really determine anything uh, anything there, but. I think it, I think it is it is interesting to see that uh, P. Bing Cavillia, We know he's not afraid to take risks, and he is not and he is not waiting around. He's going, because I think he not only is he I think he did it out of frustration uh, because of how their team is performing, but also hey, this division is. Well, as you mentioned, Nick, 
a 500, a 500 record could potentially win this division. We need to go for it. We need to go for it now. Oh, it and absolutely so, is winnable. 500 is currently the tie at the top here. Quebec's 13 and 13. New York's 12 and 12. That's a root cause of this, of this entire, um, it's just the fact that Peter Kazir realizes that this division is so, is so much up for grabs and they needed a new infusion of talent. And it's interesting because not, it, a lot of teams don't have a talent pool to draw from to just shake up their roster whenever they're struggling. But he really is not a normal Hindi ball manager. He's got a lot of connections, knows where to find talent. And listen, it's a, of course, four and six in the last 10 is what it is. But I think they're playing, they're certainly playing better lately, and I'm very, very interested to see where this team is next week with a, with a, with a, almost a brand new team, uh, this week. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see that. The whole Willie Garcia acquisition is very interesting because it comes off, I want to say, the inactive list for, plays one game with Schomburg and then is immediately dealt to Tri-City. So I'm not sure what was the deal there. It just seems like an interesting timing and move by the Boomers to make that kind of move. I would have thought you would have moved him before you played that one game. But, I mean, whatever is whatever on that front. But another fun little thing of note, because I just remember seeing this the past night, that game they've just played against New Jersey, technically, Pete put that under protest. Oh, God. It, Pete and Cavillia put so many things under protest. Do you remember the Atlanta Championship Series game he put under protest, man? Yep. Oh, goodness. Because the baseballs were different, or, what he, or so he claimed. He claimed the Ducks were cheating by using different baseballs. Yeah. Uh, what a what what a time! Yeah, what, what a time in the Atlantic League. But do, do you know? I guess you know the specifics of uh, why uh, why that game was put under protest. I did see it was put under protest. I'm not sure exactly why. I don't know. Per- Hold down one second because I do know where I can find why it was put under protest. I will go to our good friend Dave and I will look him up because that's where I saw it originally it was put under protest and. Also, by as a side note, while I'm looking this up, congrats to Dave. He got named or he got added as a communications assistant for Equip Quebec and with the Quebec Capital. So, congrats to Dave on that. Just want to give him a quick mention for that. Whilst I quickly go to look here, <clears throat> very see. well, but very, very, very well deserved. Mm-hmm. Okay, it appears as though. He got there was a brawl at some point during the game. The bench is cleared. And if I'm right, he said that the Incognito got into the face at the first base ump. Oh, here's why. Uh, Incognito said he was playing the game under protest because Tessator, the jackal closer who they brought in, which I'm not yeah. really Tessator's a starter. That's interesting. Uh, or at least he was, uh, last time I was watching pitch, was allowed more than eight warm up pitches that he should have been granted on a new pitcher after an injection. Oh, Lord. He said, I had, from Inconvelia, quote, I had to protest it because they were treating it like an injury, and that's not an injury. That's an ejection. That guy's got to come in. He gets eight pitches. He's got to pitch. They were letting him warm up in the bullpen. So we'll see where that goes. But those protests usually don't pan out. Yeah, I'll tell you where it's going to go, Pete. It's not going to go anywhere. Oh, absolutely not. Do not send that. Like I understand. So after the after the ejection, 
they brought Sator into the game. Yeah. And usually, of course, with an injury, a guy gets as much time as he needs to warm up. Is he saying that's not the case for an ejection? Because I'm pretty sure that's incorrect. Yeah, no. Supposedly, what you're allotted is eight warm-up pitches if a player gets ejected. But the Jackals had him warming up in the bullpen, and then when he was brought in, apparently he got more than eight. Or is it, I, I can't quite tell from that if when he came in, he got more than eight pitches, or if he's annoyed that they were warming up in the bullpen, and then he came in, got his eight pitches, and then started the pitch. Because if, that, if it's the latter case, then that's just tough. They're warming a dude up in the bullpen. They're allowed to do that whenever they damn well please. If it's the like prior one, if it's the first one I mentioned, then I understand, you know, why he'd be upset about that. I mean, like obviously, not great if he's getting more than eight pitches. But I mean, like, how many more than eight are we talking here? Did he throw like twenty pitches, or did he throw like nine? Like, I hardly think that nine over eight is that big of a deal. But this just seems like a minor thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't see the need to protest this. I don't know why. Uh, I, I kind of feel like um, people's time would be are kind of wasted in, in the league office with this. Uh, it, it doesn't seem like, like okay, if he if he throws more than however many warm up pitches, like I get it, it's a rule, fine, but you you really think. The league is going to be like, oh yeah, you're right. It completely changed the complexion of the game. The fact that he got more warm up pitches, so we're going to restart the game from that spot and wipe out everything else in that game. Yeah, like I, I don't. It just seems, it seems like a really minor gripe. At least it won't waste too much time because it's going to get thrown out fairly quickly, I imagine. And I mean, even Pete oh, knows yeah. it's going to get cut. I feel like this is just more of a posturing move. For his room, where he's like, "Look, I got you guys. It's back. I'm gonna protest this, and we're gonna see where it goes from this." Uh, that's why I feel like this is. We miss Pete. We miss Pete in the Atlantic League because uh, he brought some. Uh, he brought quite quite some flavor, and so I see that has not gone away, even though he has changed the league. Oh, absolutely not! I just love that Freddie's still lumping in the Frontier League as well, so we still have opportunities. Oh, yeah. But, oh, oh, absolutely! I'm. Trying, I know the two of them love each other from the Atlantic League Championship Series in in nineteen. I know, yeah, <laughs> they get along famously. But, yeah, that, that's that's friends they are. Yeah. Uh, in any case, we'll move on to Windy City now because we do need to keep the ball moving here. Uh, they were riding, I believe it was a seven-game losing streak coming into last night, but they did manage to beat Schomburg to avoid being swept in back-to-back series. They take a 10-3 win last night, but prior to that, two losses to Schomburg, then three losses to Evansville, and then two losses prior to that. So a rough week for the Windy City Thunderbolts. They dropped to 9-15 and on the year uh, after coming up the last two and eight stretch. Like I said, 0-3 against Evansville and 1-2 and versus Schaumburg in the last week. They have, Ev- <clears throat> they have Lake Erie and Schaumburg again coming up for them. But by and large, a lot of these losses too, I want to call them a lot closer than they are, but they really haven't been. The first two, 5-2, to 7-6, to six, you know, those are close games. Even 5-7, seven, to seven, not terrible. But then a 1-7 loss, then a 6-8 loss, then a 3-12 loss, then a 10-11 loss. 
what seems to be happening here, at least uh, to me, is it looks like Windy City's pitching is just not holding up anymore. And which was something that when we last talked about them, we said, this is a strong suit of this team. They're very good at pitching. And over the last seven, only four guys in the ERA below four. And that's just not going to get the job done when your whole thing is kind of pitching. And then when you look at the team, the team is batting well. That's the thing. It's just they're not keeping runs off the board. I mean, as a team, they're nearly batting 300. So you got to give them credit on that. Not much power, but I mean, eh, it is what it is. But Calabrese's doing very well. I will say that much. 12 RBIs, two home runs, batting 320. That's solid numbers there. Really? And Martinez yeah. and Smart, too, have been doing well. Our, our guy, Zach Rakuzin, is doing extremely well, too. So, like I said, there, there's guys getting on base. There's guys getting runs across. It's just, man, when you take a look at this uh, pitching staff, all but three guys have uh, an earned run this week. And most of them got, like, three or four in only, like, six or seven innings. I mean... There's a couple guys that have had one or two good starts, but they're far and few between, it looks like. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's, it's the Windy City, as a, they had a miserable week. But, I mean, their offense is still hitting. I mean, the pitching has struggled, uh, certainly, over the last over the last week or so. They've struggled a lot. Uh, I mean, Ron Calibri, been a really, he's been really impressive behind the plate, uh, but... Pitching into things, it just hasn't been good enough over the last week. Or, I mean, and for the most part, uh, I mean, well, over the last week, it's been really, really, really bad. I, I think at least the season numbers don't look too bad just because of how well they started in that department. Uh, but, I mean, you look to see what, whether things can even out uh, for them. I mean, 10 and 15 is obviously not great. But it'll be interesting to see if they can. You can kind of figure things out on that on that part, but you know, ten to ten fifteen and two and eight and ten, obviously not where you want to be. But hey, as a special division, it's a very no windy city is ten and fifteen at this point. Uh, Schaumburg leads the division at fourteen and twelve, so um, only three and a half out. I think Windy City has the talent, especially with how good we've seen their pitching. Then how good we've seen their pitching. Um, how good it has been at points this year. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't get back on track. So a rough week, but I could certainly see them figuring it out and getting back on track. Yeah, I, absolutely. They definitely have the potential to be there. Like you mentioned, it's still a very winnable division. They're still hitting, which is definitely a, po- a positive. I mean, when you have one, two, three, four, five, six guys batting above 250 and another two at 250. That's always going to be a huge help to you. And they can't stay this bad pitching wise for a while. Like you mentioned, the teams in front of them aren't, you know, like mountains ahead of them. You said it, they're three and a half back. And Lake Erie hasn't exactly looked the hottest. Schomburg is there, but again, it's two, it's three and a half games. It's still plenty of time there. And unlike a gateway or unlike even Southern Illinois, a team where we were talking them up a lot and they are on a five game winning streak. They may get talked about next week. They are, they're still well in the mix of things here, but <clears throat> to shift our attention to the other minor team, the one that is now three and seven in their last 10 on a four game losing skid, but still 15 and nine, but now in a neck and neck race for the top spot in the division 
The Sussex County Miners, a favor on this show, went two and three versus Tri City. They went zero and one versus New York. They are <clears throat> they are zero for their last four as it stands, and they still have more games against the Boulders coming up, and they have the Washington Wild Things coming to town. If I am the Wild Things at four games back at twelve and fourteen, I am licking my chops at this opportunity because you're not going to get a much better chance to make up a lot of ground in this division. You have a Sussex team that has kind of been, I don't want to say they're listing, but they are hitting a rough patch right now. They are about as vulnerable as they're going to get. Realistically here, they got about five bats, which I know I'm saying only five bats. Like, it's only a small amount here. But when, like, Jackie Urbaya is a guy that I've openly said before, he just hasn't done much at the professional level. Is one of the few guys driving the bus on offense. And then you got guys like Chuck Taylor, sure, John Jones, some good all year. Cito Culver's really developed the hitting aspect of his game as well. And Daniel Herrera's been a dude that's been pretty good for most of the way. When these are the guys that are driving the bus on offense, you really have an opportunity to take advantage of this, especially when the worst hitter on the team has been Martin Figueroa, something we're not really used to here. Him batting, you know, 125 and Adi Siriaco, Ben batting about 200. You have opportunities to really take advantage of this. I will say the pitching still has been, by and large, not terrible. A lot of them are still under four. Uh, Tyler Alexander under four. Billy Lane at three. Max Herman at three. Jalen Miller, he is a ERA of zero. Uh, a Sonair, zero. There's still a lot of guys here that are doing well. It's just they've gotten a couple of rough starts. And, I again, I'm not, this team's still great. But if I am Washington, I'm really looking at this as like a huge opportunity to pick up ground in this division. At best, you'll pick up three games on Sussex County. But even if you can only pick up like, say, two on a hole and you sit two games back going into July, that's a great spot to be in, in my mind. It's a great spot to be in. And I think you're right. It's a, this is a big series for Washington because you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get a much better opportunity to make this move than right now. I mean, you look at Sussex County, we know the talent that they have, uh, and the guys in particular that are struggling, like Audi Siriaco, like Martin Figueroa, we know that they're not going to stay down for long. And so I think that's really the interesting part of the, the minor struggles at this point is because it's, it's mostly been on offense. And, of course, with, with, some, with some rough starts, in the mix as well, that doesn't help. Um, I think this offense is certainly better than than they've performed over the last week, and 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 I think that I think those guys will start to get it back on track. It's only a matter of time, but I mean they've certainly let teams let they've let Washington hang around at this point. Uh, they've let the Jackals right back into this race uh, when it looked like almost at one point that if the Miners could potentially run away with this thing. Uh, I mean, now, now the Jackals and Miners are tied at, at, up top this division. So I, I think that, you know, as sound as the Jackals are, I think the Miners still are the most talented team. And, uh, and I think it, it, it almost, well, maybe when looking at guys like Figueroa and Colbert was almost inevitable because of how well, of how like unbelievably well they were hitting. 
Well, Colfer's hitting fine. It's Syriaco that's batting about 200. I mean, Colfer's oh, still sorry. I'm in mean, Syriaco. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, it's I, all good. Colfer. Good Colfer. Good Syriaco. But, uh, but, you know, I think Figueroa, it was just him coming back down to, to earth a little bit. I mean, you probably do need more out of a guy like Audi Syriaco. Not that he's, not that he's doing terrible. Uh, but I think overall, you're just looking for, it's almost a matter of, it's not a matter of if, but when a lot of these guys on offense start to get back on back. But I mean, this is, this is Washington's chance. This is a big, big series for this wild thing team that they want a chance to get back in this division to try and take a push towards the first. This is definitely their chance. And even with the Jackals, too, I don't have their schedule in front of me at the moment because I just want to run through Sussex County real quick, but they're going to have an opportunity this week as well. And uh, looking at the last week or so for, for the miners here, you go on a road trip up to Tri-City and you walk away scoring, what, two runs in your last three games coming out of there yeah. when you were up there? And then, sure, they got seven runs last night off of Wachowski, which he seemed to come down to earth now. But even still, I mean, you got shut out the first night up there, fine. Then you get no hit the second night. It's like, okay, not great. And then the next night you lose 3-2, which is like, okay, getting better. And then you see, okay, well, they got New York now. They should be able to post some decent numbers. And, well, didn't really work out that way. But they still got three games against New York to try and turn that around before they go into Washington. And then they play New Jersey for about four games. So this is a really big stretch coming up for them. Like this next 10-day period is big. If they keep struggling throughout it, then they're going to put themselves in a bit of a hole where we didn't think, like you said, we thought they were going to run away with it. We didn't think they would ever really be in this hole. And yet here they are. They find themselves here anyway. And... They're going to need to do something about that. And uh, just a quick glance here at the New Jersey schedule uh, coming into this week. They have Ekip Quebec for three, and then they have Tri-City for three, and then they have their series against the Miners here. So those are two teams which certainly they could take advantage of the Miners' current predicament. It's something. That, that's a stretch for the Jackals that they could. Could be easily in that, in that stretch against. Uh, try, uh, against Tri-City and Quebec, they could easily, that could easily be a four, two, four and two and five and, or potentially even five and one stretch. And that could be really big, uh, if they could potentially take the lead from the minors before they, before they, they battle, uh, the, before they battle later on in the week. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely there. And so with that, we have one last team to quickly cover in the Frontier League and then we'll move on to the Atlantic League, uh, Evansville. Uh, first, I was going to kind of overlook them, but then I realized they had an eight-game winning streak until they got walked off by, I believe it was Joliet, uh, not last night, but the night prior. And then they won last night as well. Three and over versus Windy City, two and one versus uh, Joliet. Like I said, they were nine and one in their last 10, 18 and seven on the year. So they're doing extremely well. They have a 500 Southern Illinois team and a Florence team that has shown us a lot to this point. So it won't be exactly the easiest week for them, but a guy like Andrew Penner, a guy that I was really big on when Washington took him, he's batting 375 straight across the board, OPS, uh, or not OPS, oh, uh, on base and slugging, uh, as well as average. He's just 375 straight across. 
Uh, Phillips has been doing well. Gordon's been doing well. Henderson's been doing well. Schultz has been doing well. DeJesus is doing well. Davis is doing well. All those guys, all above 300. Uh, a guy like Pulhos and Denton, they're at 250. Really, you could argue Riley Crane is kind of not doing enough. He's not really getting on bases. On bases 187, but he's slugging over 400 at this point. He has 10 RBIs in the last seven. So, I mean, he's still getting runs through. And pitching-wise, they've been doing well, too. I mean, they've gotten a good uh, bullpen job out of right. Uh, Grossman's been fantastic over what I believe is two starts, 10 hits and 13 innings, only one run. That wasn't earned. Only walked two. He struck out 12. Scott did well in his seven innings, two hits, no runs, two walks, 10 Ks, you know, solid job there. And Spring's done well, too. Uh, again, I have some bullpen arm there, but... Yeah, it's it, they've done very well pitching wise. I, I realistically, I only see three, maybe four, if you really want to stretch it to can include Logan Sawyer. Uh, Sawyer. Uh, but I, I really wouldn't. Uh, when your bullpen arm run against is going to count for a lot more. But all in all, they've been a really well put together team, a really solid team. Three thirty two as a team. They're they're pitching for an ERA, uh, and then they're, they're slashing line across 281, 353, 419. So, I mean, really, really solid stuff from the past week from them, and they've really kind of, under the radar, flown about to become a really solid team. They really, they really have been for, um, flying under the radar, and I think that's, that's the interesting part about them. But, I mean, you look at this, and to go on a winning streak like they did, you're going to need your offense. You're going to need your pitching. And both have been really, really good uh, in that department, especially if you look at the starting rotation. Austin Gossman um, uh, has been really, really good, um, at least this week, with 13 scoreless innings. So, uh, and, and, of course, that is going to play. Uh, that's going to play for them. But I think overall, I mean, they're I mean, as for the for the season, they're hitting 283 as a team, which is really really impressive stuff. And even on the, even on the pitching end of things, a team ERA of 4.22 that's not bad at all either. And their bullpen has been has been pretty impressive. Their starting rotation has been good. Really, just everything about this team at this point or to this point has been really really impressive. And that's why you see them on top of the of what of what has been to this point the toughest division in the Frontier League. Yeah, definitely. And I mean it's just been it's been a very interesting fight in that division. Like you mentioned, one of the tougher divisions there. I still say that the minor division is still probably a bit tougher just because I mean, look at the fight that we're having right now at fifteen and nine. You have two teams at the yeah, top true. there. And I mean, even Washington really isn't out of things yet, but uh, either way, it is a tough division, certainly, and they've just done a very good job. They are probably the best team in the league at this point. I mean, just record alone, then their numbers back it up, and they've certainly played difficult competition. So, you know, I, I you got to give them that so far. Um, but all in all, uh, the Frontier League is shaping up to be very, very interesting, and we're going to be able to really see a lot of movement over the next, I'd say, 10 days. So, Either next week or the week after, we're going to have a lot to say, especially about that uh, minor jackal wild thing division, because we're going to get a lot of movement on that, uh, probably a 4th of July weekend, 
because at that point we're going to see the two top teams fight it out and each of those teams is going to have to go through Washington at some point and the Myers are going to have to deal with that first so uh, on that note we'll move to the Atlantic League now to keep things moving and we'll start by talking about a couple of teams that they're turning it around a little bit, I guess you could say. Uh, Lexington didn't really need to do much to turn it around at 16 and 6, 8 and 2 in their last 10 on a three game winning streak and just kind of mowing through opponents, putting up what, 15 runs, 16 runs, yeah. 14 runs at a clip. You know, uh, they're, they're pretty just dominant. I really think that's the only way to describe them. This is the kind of team that we were talking about an awful lot heading into this season. Like, oh, they're going to be good. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. And then the first week was kind of rough because of rainouts. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we, we can have a 727 winning percentage. That's a thing we do. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, honestly, they're just straight up enough. I mean, they have, they have been absolutely nuts. And, and I thought they had a good line. I thought they had a really good lineup coming into the year. Uh, but then they have guys like Dennis Linsky and Chris Baldequin, who I didn't think were that great. And they both have an OPS over a thousand. I mean, they, they have been awesome. This lineup has been awesome. Their pitching has been good. I mean, they've just, I, I mean, there's a reason that they're by, they're far and away the best team in the Atlantic League right now. At 16 and 6, they have a five game lead over High Point in the South Division. I mean, Lexington is just stacked from top to bottom. Uh, they, they struggled a little bit. They dropped the series earlier in the week. They bounced back. Uh, they've won their last three games. So, um, I mean, at least going into their series, uh, this weekend, uh, when they take, when they take on the High Point Rockers once again, uh, they got, they got a big series against High Point in the High Point. Uh, they had a lot of success there. Now they get to start a, a series at home against High Point where they can really, I mean, listen, Lexington at this point is already, they already have a five game lead over High Point. If they, they can, they really have a chance to, I don't want to say put this division away because it is a really, really long season, but is there, I don't know, if they're able to sweep them, are we having that conversation? We might. Uh, it's just. I certainly but, don't want to rule it out because, I mean, I'm not really sure who else High Point plays this week. Uh, I only have the three teams that we were going to talk about and then a little bit on Gastonia uh, written down here. But, yeah, I think we're going to start to really consider that because if I'm right, High Point's at about 500. There may be a game under or yeah. over at the moment. Yeah. So, Lexington's 10 over. And I understand it's like, oh, well, we're only like. 21 games 25 games into the season they play 120 you know it's hard to say only like a fifth of the way through the year but i mean there's no real signs of slowing down here like that's the thing like you mentioned all these guys even a guy like courtney hawkins is also doing extremely well and like no one's really getting their contract purchased like none of the guys that are really driving the bus offensively are pitching wise yeah there's been a handful but i mean by and large this team staying intact and if it stays intact even just wait to the like the 60 game mark and they continue on this pace like my god like they'll hit 50 60 wins probably by end of august probably like like how they could hit it by like end of july even like that's how good this team really is i mean if you think about it they played really realistically one full month as of right now 
And I mean, you want to give them July and August, tack on another 32 wins onto that. They're at about 50 at the end of August. So, I mean, that's certainly, certainly a possibility here. Uh, and I mean, West Virginia is not going to really put up a, a fight. You're not going to see anything from Gastonia really challenging Lexington. So it really comes down to, okay, will it be High Point that beats them? And yeah, I, I wouldn't say one more sweep to get back to the original point. I wouldn't say one sweep would do it, but I would think a second sweep would, because that would be, what, three series in a row that High Point's unable to beat Lexington? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that, uh, I mean, Lexington is showing that they are far and away the, the best team in the league and the best team in the South Division. I, I still think, I still certainly believe in High Point, but I mean, Lexington is really separating themselves. Yeah. They're, they're making it known that they are, a whole different breed here, and that that's really a testament to the team they have running the show over there, and the kind of team that they've built, management and uh, field management as well uh, on their end there. But as far as another team that's actually had to do a, a big Yui, Southern Maryland, you know, seven and three if I'm mm-hmm. right in their last ten, eleven and fourteen. So I mean, not lighting the world on fire on as a whole in the season, but they took three from Gastonia, they took two from York, they took two from High Point, and I mean, they're doing, they're getting along, you know, they're not, like I said, they're not laying the world on fire, but they are turning it around, especially after last week when we said, oh, you know, they're not doing great, and they're doing their usual routine of, oh, look, they're gonna pretend to be good, and then not be good when they actually hit the field. They're now two games out out of the uh, first place in the division, granted, the North Division is not particularly good. I mean, Long Island's atop the division at 13 and 11, and then you have 11 and 13, 11 and 13, and 11 and 14. So it's not exactly like it's the cream of the crop over there, but still, they're in second place. They've had a big turnaround, and I think that's worthy of note. Yeah, for sure. Southern Maryland is really, I believe they've won their last three series, and after a team that uh, that really struggled at the beginning, and some some of us were saying that they could potentially uh, end up being in the basement of the Atlantic League. They've really done a nice job turning it around. Now, it's, the North Division is so jammed after Long Island that you know I don't know how much you can you can really take from that. But I think Southern Maryland, at least uh, at least um, later, uh, at least more recently, they've they've played a lot better. They, and they have a big series this weekend, uh, a, a very winnable series this weekend, a four-game set against the York Revolution. They're playing a doubleheader tonight to make up uh, for one of their rainouts earlier in the season. So I, I think this is a big opportunity for them. I mean, York is kind of, I mean, York has been kind of struggling lately. They've got they've got hit with some injuries. Wellington Dotel was just placed on the IL today uh, for for. For York and, and their pitching has struggled as well. So I think this is another, this is a good opportunity at home for the Blue Crabs uh, to potentially. I mean, I, I at least early, at least uh, in my predictions, I, I had them as the second best team in the North Division. It didn't look good at first, but you know, maybe now it doesn't look so bad with Lancaster struggling and and York kind of milling along, but. I mean, the Blue Crabs, it's a big weekend for them, a very, very winnable series for them against York. Oh, yeah. No, they, that's the thing that they have working on. They have York and Gastonia coming up. I mean, those are those are some games that you could definitely can pick up some ground on. I'm not sure about Long Island. I'm, I'm not sure if you can find that real quick as to who they play, but 
I don't think it's going to be much easier than York Gastonia. Yeah, I mean, well, Long Island got uh, Long Island traveling to Gastonia this weekend. Okay, so I mean, that's not. See, I want to say that's not that hard, but Gastonia did just kind of, you know, win the series against them. Yeah. So. How about the schedule where uh, Gastonia takes on Long Island and then they and then they switch sides and go to Gastonia and play each other? Like, on one hand, I like the home and home because it definitely is like kind of a any sort of I don't like when I say bad blood, it makes it sound like it's a legit like time rivalry or something. But it does make anything that happened in the last series carry over and stay relevant. So I like that from that aspect of it. But it also is really weird to have them play like. All right, you're going to play three games here. Now you're going to go play each other again in a different ballpark. It's like, okay, well, when it makes sense that at least, like, if they're traveling south, like, maybe have them hit up high point first and then go over. But, I mean, I guess yeah. six of one, half dozen of another. Yeah, I don't mind the home and home so much. I just don't think it makes any sense for Long Island and Gastonia to do it. Yeah. You know, if you want, if you want to do it with, like, I mean, division rivals, I don't have any issue with that, but... I mean, with Long Island and Gastonia, really? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. it's certainly um, odd. But uh, in any case, just back to the Blue Crafts real quick. They are getting, like, they're pitching-wise, like, they've been decent, like, offensively. They're decent, although it's always fun when you look at the Atlantic League stat page, which is something I do have a major gripe about because it makes me wish that they were using point streak, which is never something I want. Uh, but... They have, like, they still have Braxton Lee listed as the average leader. And, like, I understand he technically is, but he's not on the team anymore. So if we could just remove him, it would be terrific. But, in any case, like, you look at the team, like, there's guys that are doing a good job. Like, uh, Bach is doing well. Crosby's doing well. Blackstone's doing well. There's guys that are doing well. And, you know, like, they're getting along. David Harris is still a guy that I'd like to see doing better. I gotta be real. I really would like to see him doing better. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, you know, he's been a big catalyst for Blue Crab stretchers. Mike Devine is really, uh, Mike Devine was kind of, uh, at the beginning of the year for the Blue Crabs, but now he's really starting to, to pitch as a guy that we saw last year in St. Paul in their rotation. And so he, I mean, his, his starts have been really, really strong. And for the for the blue crabs are in the, at least in the starting pitching department they've kind of struggled or they they have struggled early on in the season. Divine has, has provided a big boost for them lately, and he's he's a, and then him and Daryl Thompson are really looking like a formidable one two punch at the top of that starting rotation. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe they'll be able to pick up some ground, but I will say they are going to have a bit of an issue because that other team that Long Island is playing this week is Lancaster, which is the team we're going to talk about now, or Lancaster. God forbid I make that mistake. Which, either way, however you pronounce it, they've lost their last five in a row. They're four and six in their last ten. They dropped two of three to Long Island, and then they dropped all three to Lexington. But, I mean, there's really no shame in getting swept by Lexington. They're 11 and, I believe, 14 on the season. They have West Virginia and then Long Island coming up. Uh, they, they're really driving the bus by like four or five guys offensively, which I really, I don't think is the issue. I think the issue is just, they don't have any pitching. Either it gets hurt or it gets picked they up. Literally, they literally have no pitching. 
Like, yeah. and I, it's not even that, well, I mean, the pitching has been bad, but literally, they have no pitching. Uh, it's it's just that simple. And I think, I think I almost described them in last week's episode as like a ticking time bomb. Uh, because they were winning all these high-scoring games, and I knew just looking at their roster, they probably weren't going to keep that up uh, just because, uh, on offense. And sure enough, I mean, they've, they've had some good arms out of the bullpen, but, I mean, they've had injuries. Uh, and the, the bullpens, of course, are struggling. I mean, they've walked an absolute gargantuan amount of people. Uh, you know, but, you know what, shout out Scott Schumann, because Scott Schumann is wiped out. I mean, dude's given up three hits all season. So yeah, he's the only <laughs> one in that in that whole uh, rotation or staff really that's doing well. I yeah. mean, like hell, I'm seeing 26 walks, 13 walks, 33 walks, 16 walks. So you want to go down a little bit further? Another 10 walks, another 16, 20, 14. Dear God, this really. I is, mean, I mean, Nick, Nick, this is rough. The, the barnstorm, the ready for this stat. The barnstormers as a team. Their ERA is 8.05. Dear God, that, you can't win with that. You can't. Honestly, uh, Galleon's their best hit, uh, best pitcher so far. Four and two thirds, and he has an ERA sub two. Like, yeah, I mean, they have 193 walks compared to 207 strikeouts. Dear God, that's those ratios. Oh, they, they should be thanking their lucky stars that that they are where they are right now. That yeah. they're eleven and fourteen. They should be they should be thanking the heavens for eleven and fourteen right now. Yeah, like I'm, like I'm looking at this here because I, like I want to see here, like they obviously lead the league in walks. It's not anything close, but they they have Gastonia, who's a pitching staff that we mentioned a couple weeks back during the whole like oh there was thirty three walks in this game, uh, thing. They're like forty two clear of Gastonia. Who's almost the same number clear of the next team? Like, yeah. dear God! Like, I understand they pitched the tied for the most innings with York, but even still, regardless, it, it doesn't matter. Like, you still can't walk that many. You mentioned the ERA again. Gastonia is the next worst, but they're a full two points, a full two runs worse. Yeah. Dear God! Yeah, it, it, it's rough, and I think. It's for as far as the barnstormers, and I think it speaks to a larger issue, which yeah. is actually a question a question I received uh, to ask if we could talk about it on the show. And I think yeah. this is a decent place to throw it in. Uh, I think that Lancaster specifically, they they start off with a decent roster, and then they lose guys inevitably, you know, like yeah. every team does to, to MLB organizations. And then they just have no idea how to replace them. Yeah. Like, I, no idea how to replace them. Yeah, I think, like, I want to say it's not as bad as past years, because, I mean, if we want to be realistic here, it really isn't as bad, but you are seeing more guys getting picked up. It's just, it's so hard to replace pitchers in particular, because you've mentioned this in the past, how you have a lot of guys that didn't throw at all competitively in 2020. So that's going to be a long time to adjust to it. And already as it is, it's really, really hard to find pitching on a professional level. And then you factor in the Atlantic League on top of that. It makes it just that much more difficult. And I think that's just, it's part of the nature of it. And if we're talking about the same guy who sent that long list of questions, that 
I think they're more used to like what High Point did in 2019. And the reason why everyone was going, this is unbelievable was because that's the exception, not the rule. Like, again, what Lexington is doing this year, that's the exception, not the rule. You're used to, you know, what we're seeing. I don't want to say necessarily Lancaster, but more like what Long Island's doing, where you're going to have a handful of guys that are going to do really well, and then they're going to get picked up, and then you're going to have to just try to replace them on the fly. And, I mean, that's just part of the challenge of indie ball. It's like, look, the guys you start your year with are not going to be the guys you end your year with. And it's not necessarily because they were bad. In fact, it's probably because they played too good. Like, that's almost the challenge of building an indie ball roster where you want guys that are going to be, like, good, but not so good to get picked up. Like, you want a lineup of almost, like, 280 hitters, I think. Because no one really wants to pick up a 280 hitter. But if a dude's batting, like, 350 throughout the year, that's going to get a scout's attention. But if they're batting 280, it's like, oh, well, they're just doing really well on this level. Yeah. I think, to be honest with you, it really falls on the coaching staff. And this is really, and this is honestly why I thought the Barnstormers were so terrible in 2019 is because they had some injuries in their starting rotation and they just were no idea how to replace these guys. So much so that Garrett Granitz, who has never started a game in his professional career, is like starting games and trying to give them four innings. And shockingly, it doesn't go well. Yeah. So I, I, I think, and to be, so to be honest with you, I, I think it's, I think more of a Lancaster problem than most, but at the same time, I think, a, I think in the Atlantic League, you've seen, and really all through Indie Ball, you've seen a tough time replacing pitching. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that has to do with, uh, even even though minor league teams and just minor league cuts and whatnot, I, I don't think it's that simple. Just because I mean, there's more leagues than ever for guys to go, and naturally they're spread out at the beginning of the year. And therefore, when guys are when 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 guys are let go, and you need to find pitching to replace. I mean, there's plenty of guys that are hot out of co- that are right out of college uh, to, to to replace. But I, I think that, you know you're not having as many guys. Um, that you can just simply go to, and when, when you're looking for pitching, and, and I think that's been a problem in the American Association and the Frontier League as well as the Atlantic League. So uh, I, I think that um, it's been itching to see how teams change this. Maybe more, there's more releases from minor league teams uh, as we start, but it, it's just a different world. I think that we're living in in 2021 than we did in 2019 in a lot of ways. And I think it's, it, it, I think at least from the quality of pitching that we're seeing in the Atlantic League, I think it's had a big impact. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like a lot of people I see go, well, there was just however many MILB teams that got cut. What happened with all those pitchers? And it's like, well, yes, but just because there's a lot of pitchers doesn't mean there's a lot of good pitchers. I mean, anyone can throw a baseball, yeah. you know, 62 feet, which seem to be, well, well, yeah, uh, but uh, anyone can do that, but not a lot of people can do it well, and that's the part of the problem, and a lot of the teams that were cut weren't like double-A AA and triple-A teams, which is where your talent level, if not higher, is for like the Atlantic League and really the American Association as well as we've seen this year and last year. They were like low-A teams. They were rookie ball teams. Those were the teams getting cut. These are guys that, quite frankly... 
would even be kind of the low man on the totem pole on the Frontier League rosters. I mean, the Frontier League rosters are pretty much high A to double A level talent in my mind. You're going to have a couple of guys in there that are probably better than that. But by and large, it's probably the bulk of your lineup. I mean, you see that when their contracts get purchased, that's normally where they're assigned to. So... It's just really hard to find that kind of level of pitching. And when there's minor league cuts, sure, there may be a couple of guys that got cut that didn't deserve to be, and they go out and they prove it. But by and large, if they're getting cut from, you know, high A, double A, there's a reason they were cut from high A or double A. And if they're getting cut from, say, triple A, there's normally another MLB team that's like, oh, screw it, let's take them and we'll see what we can do with it. And if that doesn't work out, then we'll drop them. And... I also have to imagine there's a lot of players that are a little resistant to going to independent league baseball. So it's kind of hard to just recruit talent in there. And like you said, it goes back to the coaching staff being able to do that. And it's not always a possibility. And in case of Lancaster, and I'll move on after this, I almost feel like an opener would be, almost be better for them. Because you're clearly not getting yeah. much out of starters. So you might as well try the opener. Because how much worse could it be for you? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would not at all start uh, rolling with an opener just so they can try and just try and get starters through like what twice through the order. I, I think that starting with the the uh, with the five, six, seven cards of the lineup, I could see. I think it's worth, it's certainly worth a shot for them. Yeah, it's definitely worth something here. We're short on time, but we do have the American Association to talk about. So what's going to happen is I'm going to cut one of the teams that I originally had listed here, which is Lincoln. And hell, I'm even going to cut Sioux City. That was originally written down here. Both are on five-game winning slash losing streaks because they played each other for the last five games. Uh, Sioux City is leading the division. They'll get more. We'll talk about both of them in more detail next week. Uh, but Sioux City is 22 and 11. They have Houston and Cleburne coming up. And Lincoln is 15 and 16, 4 and 6. They have Kansas City and Cleburne coming up. So they each have some interesting weeks ahead. Lincoln definitely has a much tougher road than Sioux City does. Sioux City very well could walk out of that week. Say 5 and 1 even. I wouldn't put that past them. They definitely can beat up on Houston and uh, Cleburne. They are 5 and 5. They're going to be the team we talk about now. They haven't been exactly the hottest team this year. They've definitely been another victim of those Major League Baseball contract purchases. They lost their last game, but they are 16 and 17 on the year. 5 and 5, like you just mentioned, their last 10. They swept the Apollos, and then they took 2 of 3 from the Gold Eyes, a loss coming last night. As you could probably guess from what I was just saying, they have Sioux City and Lincoln uh, upcoming on the slate here. So they are in an interesting position, certainly, uh, in this year. Yeah, they're, they're in an interesting spot, and they're one of the teams that has kind of struggled as far as, as far as replacing talent and has gotten picked up. And I think that, uh, you know, at least they're, they're, there's a lot of tough teams. Uh, but, I mean, if you look what they've done this past week, I mean, they hit really well this past week. Hit 320 as a team, slugged 543. Uh, as, as a team this week as well. And on the pitching end of things, um, their bullpen, their bullpen was really strong. Uh, their starting rotation was good as well. Um, a 360 ERA as a team this week. So they're slowly starting to get back into it. Um, overall, I mean, of course, 16 and 17 isn't great. Certainly better than, uh, certainly better than what they were. Uh, however, uh, it's a, it's a tough schedule upcoming for them. Um, and I think we'll learn, we'll learn a lot about them 
uh, Cleveland specifically. Uh, but you know, it, it's there's there's a long way to go to try and catch a team like Sioux City, and, and I think and that that'll be interesting uh, to see if they can do that. And Kansas City's playing much better, and those two teams at the top, Sioux City and Kansas City, are really starting to distinguish themselves. And if Cleveland wants to get back in that conversation, playing well, they got to continue to play well and keep working their way back up the standings. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Cleburne, I will say, as the roster starts to settle, as it starts to solidify now, because I think the bulk of the pickups are done, at least for now, from them, they're going to get a lot better. When I mean, you have a Lago batting over 400, yeah. when you have Zach Narrier batting over 400, that's going to help you out a lot. They're also getting some power. I mean, Hernandez hit four home runs. Ramon Hernandez hit four home runs this week. So that's always going to be a huge positive. You have two from Vaughn, two from Simpson, who's starting to come around and be the usual type of hitter we expect. Ozzy Martinez is still staying hot. So these are these are all guys that are going to be critical. They want to continue to do well. So Sato's coming back into form. Rodriguez is looking good out of the pen. Cruz is looking good out of the pen. Wright's looking good out of the pen. You're getting some good starts from guys like Gunn and, and others as well. Kyle Schaffes is still doing well. So they're certainly, certainly still turning the ship around here. Uh, with that said, though, we're going to go to that other team, the last team that we're going to talk about this week, just because of time constraint, uh, which you mentioned when we talked about it, Will, uh, Kansas City. They are now up. They were on, I believe, an eight-game winning streak at one point this week. They are seven and three in their last ten. They are nineteen and thirteen. They took two from Winnipeg of the three-game set, and they split with Milwaukee over their last bit, two and two. They also tacked twenty runs on Milwaukee as well, which is worthy of note. They have Lincoln and they have Sioux Falls, so a, a fairly easy schedule, I think, uh, for them this week. Their pitching is, you know, on a whole, you have guys that are doing really well, like Romano, Mincy, McGrain, Cha, uh, Traverso. They're doing really well. Then you've got guys that are doing really poorly, like Tavares, Vasquez, Lindgren. And even Matthews hasn't been terrific. And then you have some guys in the middle that are like Diaz and Urbina. But the batting is really what's driving the ship here. Gillespie's doing well. Sweeney's getting back on to his usual routine of batting over 300. Groot John's still doing well. Guerrero's staying hot. Kevin Santa's staying hot. And they are getting their offense where they can. And Jan Hernandez hit three home runs this week. So that's worthy of note as well. Yeah, I mean, Jan Hernandez, he's a guy that, uh, I mean, he's eight home runs in the season. I mean, in general, I, I mean, Kansas City, they hit a lot of home runs, right? They've hit 42 yep. home runs. 32 games as a team, so they have a lot of power, and it's interesting because I think we, you mentioned about Cleburne that as their roster becomes starts to become a little bit more solidified, that now they're starting to play a lot better, and, and I think that's what you saw happen with Kansas City. They've done a nice job replacing a lot of the talent that they lost really, really early on in the season. And I mean, over the last week, they continue to play well. They continue uh, to, I mean, I mean, Rusty has been just insane. Uh, I mean, getting on base at a 515 clip as well as four home runs uh, this week for him. I mean, he, he just, just went insane this week. And they, they did struggle a bit uh, pitching wise this week. Although, I mean, if you look at that, uh, I mean, it kind of looks like it was just, one guy, Jake Mathis, uh, who, who really, really struggled this week, giving up 
uh, 10 earned runs and 10 and two-thirds innings. So I guess if you, I'm not exactly sure what it would be if you took out those numbers. Uh, but I, I think Kansas City is really starting to get back on track. They're a really talented group. Uh, and, and specifically in their lineup, they're continuing to mash right now. And I think that's, that's really, that's really helping them. I mean, they're two and a half out, uh, from two cities. So very much in striking distance, but they're looking good in terms of, uh, playoff positioning. That's for sure. Absolutely. And Cern turned to that team that we thought they would be in the beginning of the year. And uh, like I said, we're starting to get those contenders from the beginning of the show, like I mentioned. We're starting to finally get those contenders to rise to the top. And we're starting to identify really the top, I would say, three or four teams in each league. And uh, I guess with that, that's about all the show we have for you this week. Uh, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. And uh, with that, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Indie Ball Pod. You want to follow on Instagram at ALPB underscore news for all your Atlantic League needs and at Indie Ball Report Podcast or just at Indie Ball Report on Instagram uh, to follow us there. You can find everything we talked about today via the links in the show notes on the website IndieBallReport.com. Uh, there's other stuff there. It doesn't really get updated much, but you can check it out if you want to. And be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you find podcasts such as TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Like I said, just about wherever you find podcasts, the show should be available for you. And with that said, do we have anything else left to add? So the only thing I have left to add, and you might disagree, but I'm happy to see the Canadians in the Stanley Cup final. The, 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 of course, I mean, Canada's, I mean, as, uh, as everyone has, they've been through a lot as far as, I mean, certainly been slower to reopening. I think it, it was a really cool thing to, for, for those fans, at least. You know, we've seen Vegas in the, in the Cup Finals. I, I think it, it's cool to see the Canadian team. I know you disagree, but I, I, in my opinion, I think it's cool to see a Canadian team uh, in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll be pulling for them. Uh, in, in the final. I hope they, uh, I think it was really, really cool, uh, for those fans and for, for the city of Montreal. And I, I know, I, I have no hate at all towards Montreal, but it, it's cool to see a Canadian team back in the cup finals. I, I, I think that's cool to say. They are the first Canadian team since 2011 when Vancouver blew a giant lead to Boston and then Boston won the cup. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say this much. I'm so, so in Montreal. I mean, like they're whatever. Uh, I don't, I just think it's funny how you have hockey as kind of Canada's game and they can't win the cup and they struggle to even get to the final. And I will say this much. I don't want the Islanders to win the cup. I'd ideally like them to lose. The more they lose, the better. I'd want to see Tampa win everything, which is something I didn't think I'd be rooting for at the beginning of all this, but yet here we are. So if Tampa gets there to the final, then I want Tampa. If not, then I guess I'm rooting for Montreal. But really, it's anyone but the Islanders at this point. And then, you know, that's of the three teams we have left. It's really Tampa for me at the top. And I guess Montreal. And then at the very bottom, the finals just getting canceled, really. I think that would be better. I really would. <laughs> Hell, I'd take a lockout that would just kill the sport instead. Uh, I don't want the Islanders to win shit. I, I, I can understand that. I mean, it, it, I think it is weird, though. Uh, I mean, that we get like a, like, whether the Lightning or the Islanders win, just to see two Eastern Conference teams in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, if you showed me that in 
2019, I would be very, very confused about what is was what is about to un- about what is about to unfold. Yeah, uh, I probably but, would have been excited because I've been like, "Oh wait, did we finally go to my system where we say screw divisions and conferences and just take the top 16 teams and have them play in a playoff?" And then when you would have said Montreal, you would be disappointed. yeah, I would be very disappointed. And when you would have said Montreal is one of the teams, we've been like, "What the hell happened there?" Yeah, but, very confusing. Uh, but. Well, I don't got anything else to really add on to that, so with that said and nothing else left to add, you know the drill around here. Don't forget to play ball.